Welcome to the His Light and Life podcast with your host, Mark, who will be your guide to enhance, deepen, and enrich your Christian life. To turn your focus away from just getting by to walking with God in His light and life. Welcome back to His Light and Life. We're going to continue on our discussion about the world. Big bad world. And last time we left off, we were talking about who the sons of disobedience are, the children of wrath. Of course, the children of wrath are those who are outside of the... <clears throat> well, rather than me just say it, why don't I just read it? The children of wrath were those that were... in. Um, that in that time ye were without Christ. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Well, um, that, that's, that's honestly, in my opinion, one of, one of the most tragic verses of scripture in the entire Bible. And that's the description of the outcome of the rebellion of the original parents. And it's very specific because it, it you know, there's a there's a portion at the end of that that's usually joined together and it shouldn't be. It's uh because you have you were uh you were without Christ, one, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, two, and strangers from the covenants of promise, three, having no hope, four, and without God five in the world. And I want you to see before we go any further that the con the, the idea of being in the world in this connection was not a good thing. It was considered basically uh, a portion of the penalty or the portion of the situation, the unfortunates of who we were as Gentiles before we were saved. And, uh, it gives you a real clear insight into how God views this world. This world is the enemy of God, and the children who have set it up are his enemies as well. Um, by enemy, I mean the children of wrath. The, the children of wrath are the children that are outside of his will, that have no access to his will, no contact point with him, cannot come to him, and he can't come to them. The only avenue that is available to them is the only avenue that's avail been available to any man from the beginning of time, and that's through blood. Through the sacrifice of the death of an innocent animal in the Old Testament and the death of the innocent Son of God in the New Testament. There's no other avenue. There's no other approach. And, of course, um, the the, the uh, this verse also solidifies the idea that Many people have that all of that the that the Ten Commandments, the law of God, was given to the world, and it wasn't. It was given to the Jews. It was given to. It was part of the Commonwealth. It says right here, being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. So, uh, the non-believer has vert, has absolutely no connection or relationship to God. They are the trespassers who are dead in their sins. Okay? They have 
they have as much connection to God as in our story before we were talking about um, a stranger comes along and he uh, goes into a home that doesn't belong to him and, and, and sets up a, we use the analogy of a beach party where they're just in there having a good time. And uh, the origin, the owners of the home come, uh, the owners of the home come back. And I want you to think for a second of what relationship would the trespassers in the home have to the owner pulling up the driveway uh, in in his car? Absolutely none. In that context, they were sin is missing the mark, and trespassing. They were missing the mark at a place that wasn't theirs. Or you were not allowed to miss the mark in the way that they had. Okay? Now I want you to... I want to I want to draw another connection to... And we see this in the Exodus story. I'm not going to chase this very far. But I just wanted to say at this point... Because it will tie into where we will go when we get to the Exodus story. That's what I call it. Um, and the Exodus story, wonderful as it is. Because it gives us a snapshot it's a it's a micro version of the plan of redemption so the child what i mean by that let me explain that is the children of israel they their travels in their deliverance from egypt and into the promised land they foreshadowed the journey that every believer takes okay so every person is in the exodus story i used to play a game doing this years ago but every every person you counter believer non-believer doesn't matter is in the exodus story you're in the exodus story you're there and when you understand what the different stages were um it's easy it's easy to uh it's easy to identify uh when you're when you're in with someone you can you can tell very very quickly uh and um, in the Exodus story, Egypt uh, is symbolic of this unfortunate verse that we read here. That Egypt, I want you to think about Egypt now, not the children of Israel in Egypt, but, the, but Egypt itself. Pharaoh and his people, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. They had no hope and they were without God in the world. And not only that, but they were in that stage of the, in the Exodus story, they were symbolic of the world. So I want you to see that, that Pharaoh, we see him as this huge, you know, um, powerful leader. He was the most powerful leader on the world, in the world at that time. And we see him that way. And, but God didn't. God saw Pharaoh God saw Adam because Pharaoh was representative of everything that Adam had desired. If you think of Egypt, um, they worship beauty. Uh, you even see that with Abraham when he went down there uh, with Sarah and there was a famine in the land of Canaan. God had sent him to a land flowing with milk and honey and he gets there and there's a famine. Uh, the reason it was a famine when he got there is he was 14 years late. Uh, and, uh, we'll get into that when we get into Abraham. There's a reason he, he went, <laughs> but he was late when he went there. And by the time he actually decided, 
uh, to obey the command of God, he or the the covenant that he had with God at that point. He was 14 years late when he gets to Canaan. There's a terrible famine there. Uh, and he decides to go down to Egypt at that time because Egypt was the world power at that time. Just like a rural, somebody who lives in a rural area and something happened, you have to go into town to buy supplies to get provision. Well, in those days, it was equivalent to that in the sense that there's a famine in the land of Canaan. Um, and Abraham's like, okay, we had to go to Egypt because everyone knew that Egypt was the center of commerce at that time. And so he goes down there and he's, you know, he's a few, he's a little bit outside the, he's a little bit outside of Egypt. And he, and he says to his wife, he says, he looks over at Sarah, like she was beautiful. And that's what he said. He said, when we get there, say you're my sister, because what's going to happen is they're going to see you. Uh, they're going to see how beautiful you are. They're going to kill me and they're going to take you. Um, and that, I only say that to say this, that it was symbolic of the fact that Egypt was a place where lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life were were prevalent because it was a construct, the developed construct out of the heart and will of Adam, male and female. Um, Pharaoh would set himself up because it means always, I want to be a king, right? I mean, Adam wanted to be a king. He wanted to be the king of this planet. He wanted to be the king of what God had put him in charge of. He didn't want to be a steward of it. He wanted to rule it. Lucifer didn't want to be a Lucifer didn't want to be a messenger. He wanted to be a ruler. Right? And so when you look at Egypt, it's important to know that Egypt had developed at that time and every empire since that time, including the empires and powers that we know, superpowers we know today, they're they're Adam. Okay? So when you see somebody that's pushing and whatever to be a political head or it doesn't matter what it is, it, it boils down. You want to be the, I don't care if it's the school board. I don't, I don't know a school board. I just make, you know, just saying that as an example, it doesn't matter what it is. I saw a power struggle one time at a thrift store. It was a volunteer thrift store. And I went in there and I'm, I was buying books. I've had a habit in my entire Christian life of scouring through bookstores and used bookstores, thrift stores and basements looking for the looking for the writings of the generals of church history and I'm in there in a stack of books and and I I spent about three minutes longer in in there than I needed to because the the three ladies behind the counter were all it was hilarious. They would come in and, and one like the debit machine on this side and this on this side and the other side and the bags over here. And the next person would come in and for their volunteer thing and oh, who's changed this all around and they'd put it all back. It was, and I'm standing there and I'm watching this and they're, and they're talking with each other and you know, they're bickering about the people who aren't there. And, uh, the same as probably took place four hours before that when the other crew came in. Uh, that's Adam. Adam complains. Adam criticizes. Adam wants to be a king. And Pharaoh was the king. And so in the context of what we're talking about today, I want you to see that, that Egypt was simply the first major power, real world superpower of the time. And it was built completely and totally out of the heart of Adam. 
You even see it now with great structures they built to themselves and pyramids and the Valley of the Kings and uh, just gold, you know. People starving all around and the pharaohs got just mountains of gold. They got to bury the gold in the ground because they believed that that was the wealth they were going to take into the next world. And then, of course, they worship beauty. We know that with uh, what they made. And we know that they worship physical beauty by what Adam, what Abraham said. They're going to see you. They're going to see that you're beautiful. They're going to kill me and take you. So we know that. So when Adam sent, or when uh, God sends Moses down there, who is who is in God? Put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. Who is he sending Moses to, in God's sense, from God's perspective? To Adam. So I want you to see that that God saw Pharaoh the same way that He saw Adam after he rebelled. I want you to think about that. God, the creator of all the universe, puts in charge in the garden as a, as a stewardship dominion of the earth, Adam, male and female, right? They rebel. He lines them up. He goes down the line, you know, announces what's going to end up happening to the serpent, what's going to end up happening to, her, to the woman, and what's going to end up happening to Adam. I want you to think about the position of authority that the Father God had over top of them at that point. They've committed this treasonous act, self-reliance, with a pursuit of self-development on the earth that God owns. He's pronounced a judgment upon them, which simply means the removal of his grace, and they will be left here to scrape, to sweat, and to set up a set up a world of sorrow and this culminates with the first great empire that we encounter and that's Egypt so when god sends moses down to egypt with a message to pharaoh who does god know that he's talking to adam a fallen ruined being this fallen, ruined being. The Bible says that, you know, when God said he hardened his heart, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you know Do you know how God hardened Pharaoh's heart? He just lowered the common grace that was on him that allowed him to be the head of an empire in the first place. Just lift common grace. Common grace is on everybody, but God can lift it. God can suspend it off an individual. He could suspend it off of a people. He could suspend it off of a nation. He can do whatever he wants. It's his, and it's a free gift that he gives. And he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And, and obviously, common grace for the goodness and the safety and the protection of his people had been on the nation of Israel. They had been blessed. Egypt had been blessed because Egypt, though the masters of the Israelites, was also the protectors of Israel. And there was a point where the masters had become cruel. 
had be had stepped over that boundary. The Bible says that God said it. he considers it a righteous thing to vindicate his own, but he had purposes based upon a covenant that he'd made with Abraham. So the people are leaving. The people aren't going to leave because Pharaoh lets them go. The people are going to leave because God has said they're going to go. And at that moment, as that happens, common grace is lifting off to, off of Egypt. And the result, of course, Pharaoh's heart's harder, hardened towards God, hardened towards the things of God, hardened towards the light and the, and the, and the anger and the wrath and the hatred of God that is in all of the children of disobedience begins to manifest itself. And the nature that's within them and the law of sin and death that's around them, they begin to work against the purposes and plans of God. God has come on the scene and they're reacting to that. Okay? So, but I want you to I want you to draw the connection that Egypt in our story, and we're going to get to that more. We're going to talk quite in depth about the Exodus story and explain some of the reasons why why I it's so important to me. It's uh, uh I've learned over the years, if I can't find a clear example of it in the Exodus story, to be very, very suspicious of it. Because it is the micro. It's the micro. Okay? It's like if you had a square that was, you know, 12 by 12 by 12 by 12. One foot square. And the same person who can't change made a bigger square. And you couldn't find those numbers, that perspective inside the bigger square. I'd be very concerned. Okay? So it's a shorter version of the entire plan of redemption of the bloodline. So the sand of the sea went through this, that journey into the purpose of God. And the stars of the sky, the children of God, go through the same one. But continuing on. I wanted to move forward. We still have a bit of time, and I wanted to explain here. After we see this, among whom, this is Ephesians 2, 3 again, among whom ye also had, we had our conversations in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he's saying there was no distinction that the children of disobedience they're all the same. They're dead in trespass and sins, and the manifestation of their lives are these various lusts. And then he says, but God, in verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ Jesus. By grace are you saved. I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but there's a, if you, if you think that I want you to picture, I want you to picture, um, uh, Jesus in the tomb, <laughs> his body in the tomb and, or a dead body in general, uh, Lazarus in his tomb, right? What were the, what was the, what were the, what were the odds of that, of Lazarus being able to raise himself from the dead be? 
there's a, there's a wide, I'm not going to go far with this, but there's a wide idea that, you know, that God has done something and he's opened this door and man can walk through. No, you're dead. Dead people can't respond. A dead person can't respond to the gospel. You're, you're dead. How, how could you, I mean, it's like a dead person on the ground. It's like, okay, you know, oh boy, come on guy. You got to get up and go to the hospital. You need medical attention. Come on, get up. There's a hospital over here, and uh, they have everything they need. They're going to nurse you back to health, but you got to get up and get over there. you got to get up and get over there. Well, you have to explain to me this verse. You were dead. You're dead in trespass and sins. And it says that even when we were dead in Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, he hath quickened us together with Christ Jesus. You were raised from the dead. Just like Lazarus. Lazarus is, is, a, is a... See, we use Lazarus as an example of the resurrection. And it's true. But the first resurrection of the believer, the first resurrection of the believer is when they were resurrected out of, out of sin and death. They were res, resurrected from the dead. You were resurrected out of the first Adam. You were dead in the first Adam. And the second Adam had to raise you from the dead. And he did that by his power and authority. He did that having paid the price, right? For what caused your death and paid the price for your resurrection. See, Jesus not just, didn't just die for our sins, but he was raised from the dead to eternal life. And you were dead in Adam and he raised you from the dead. Why did he do it? It says right there, but God who is in verse uh, Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. That word love there, of course, we can trace it back. It's agape love. It's hesed. It's to, it's unmerited mercy, tenderhearted, loving kindness. It's a love for the unlovable. It's a gift to the undeserved. It's a, it's a blessing upon the enemy. It's how Jesus taught us that we could walk in how we are to treat others. Not in our strength. <laughs> you want to try that one. But in this, it's a supernatural love. And the supernatural love that we can live and walk in the world by, the source of that was the Hasid of God that raised us from the dead. Right? You don't believe and then you're saved. You have to be saved and then you believe. You acknowledge, you know, it's like a person who's just absolutely shipwrecked. They're just, just dragging along on a, you know, floating along on some piece of something they found. And they're just, they're dead. They're basically dead. They don't have a, they don't have an out. Think of the movie Castaway. Ship comes along, pulls him out, saves him. See, salvation isn't something that we accept. <laughs> salvation is something that is done to us. We were saved from trespass and sins. We were pulled out of trespass and sins. We were pulled out of the grave of Adam. We were pulled out of death. He comes to us out of his own mercy, out of his own kindness, not a, not a response to us. God does not respond. We talked about that before. 
God never responds. We respond. And he, and our response is he saves us out of his nothing but his own mercy, tenderhearted kindness and will. Out of his own richness of mercy, he chose to save some out of Adam's ruin. Based upon nothing they were, nothing they would do, they had no they had no better character. It wasn't that he knew they would believe none of those things are true. He simply chose to save some. He simply chose them. And he pulls them out of death. He pulls them out of Adam. He pulls them out of ruin. He pulls them out of darkness into the light. He pulls them out of evil. And then when you come out of that death, you look at him and you go, oh my God, I love him. Because the faith that's in you, the faith that's given to you is a gift. Now you can see him. Now you believe. Now you believe. A dead person can't believe anything. Certainly not God. And the more they saw of God, the more, the more Adam sees of God, the more he hates him. Adam will, you know, you think you're witnessing to people, friends that you know, and whatever, and you think that the more, the, the nicer, more loving, more kind, whatever of God that you can show them, display to them, tell them about, the more, the, the higher the probability of them accepting him, believing and getting saved. No, the more they see of him, the more they'll hate him. The more they see of him, the more they'll hate him. And you don't know that. You don't necessarily believe that because you don't know the depth of the fall. There's nothing in man to respond to God with anything but hatred. Nothing. He's dead in trespass and sin. Locked in the nature of Adam. Locked in the abyss. Locked in a, in a prison. And that's symbolic in the Exodus story by the Jews. Under the whip of the Roman Empire, or under the whip of the Egyptian Empire. Cut off. And God intervenes on their behalf. And they pass through that doorpost. With the blood on the sides and the blood on the lintel and the bucket of blood at the bottom. That's a type of the cross, and they pass through that, and they are saved. They're delivered. Okay? I want to thank, we're going to pick this up. This is, uh, this is, we still have a lot of ground to cover. But I want to thank you for joining me today on His Light and Life. Um, I appreciate your time, and I want to thank you very much. Thank you for listening to His Light and Life. Do you have questions or want to speak with Mark? please reach out using the email in the description. We'll see you next time on His Light and Life.